Hello, and you are listening to Squash Radio. This is a brand new podcast that wants to bring the inside of squash to life by serving up the best stories. This whole station was a little experiment in itself. We are pushing this even further by testing new ways of getting you these stories. We now have short five to 10 minute video recaps available online. We are trying shorter interviews, capturing people in their moment. And coming up, we are teaming up with some people to do some on-site coverage of events since we can't be everywhere. But here's where we need some help. We are still very small, but have big dreams. Can you help us get the word out, spread the news? Small things could help, like do you have a website and want to embed Squash Radio? We can share simple code and boom, Squash Radio can be right there with new episodes automatically downloaded. Or support us on social media. Any of these things would be extremely appreciated. Want to get in touch with us? Well, there are lots of ways. Any of the social media messaging apps. Or email us at squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy it. This call is being recorded. Hey there, Squash fans, and welcome back to another episode of Squash Radio. I'm your host, Connor O'Malley. So I'm especially excited to be able to share this episode with you today, because for a while now, I've been really wanting to do an episode highlighting some of the amazing women and women-centric programs from Squash World. But to be honest, I was struggling a little bit on where to start. Well, enter one of our podcast listeners who heard our offer to collaborate on stories. And with her help, we've come up with a series of episodes that we're going to share with our listeners. So today is just one of those first episodes that we're excited to share with you. Our guests today are two women who are at the top of their respective fields. And they'll share with you their insights on how to pursue excellence both on the squash court as well as in business. Jen Gabler, who is from the New York, Connecticut area, is the co-founder of The Refinery, which runs accelerator programs and pitch competitions for women tech entrepreneurs aimed at fueling their success. Jen's background has been steeped in the business world, usually applying her skills as CFO or chief financial officer to help those companies grow as part of their leadership team. Go check out The Refinery CT to learn more about the amazing work that they're doing. Our second guest is Kathleen Cows, who also resides in the New York, Connecticut area and is the co-founder of M Squash Academy, which she founded with her husband. Kathleen is originally from Belgium, who at a young age pursued the top of the squash world and became number one junior ranked player in Europe as well as also cracking the top 50 on the women's professional tour. Kathleen not only pushed herself on court, but also earned two master's degrees in business and communications, respectively, while touring. Go to msquash.com to learn more about how Kathleen could take your squash game to new levels. As you can tell, both of these women are clearly the top of their respective fields, and we are excited to share their stories. We all thoroughly enjoyed bringing you this episode, and we hope you enjoy it too. All right, hey there, Squash fans. We have another great show for you today. We're excited to be experimenting with a new format of having three guests on at a time, or three people, I should say, and uh, bringing you even more Squash Radio. So today we are here with Kathleen Cowles and Jen Gabler. Welcome to the show. Great to be on the show, Connor. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone, and it's great to be here. This actually has been a few weeks in the making, and it's been a lot of fun working with you guys, kind of prepping and 
you know, trying to figure out there's so much we can talk about that. How do we make this uh, not a three hour episode, but try and make it a great one hour episode. And, you know, one of the things that really struck out to me was Jen, you being from the business side and, and Kathleen, you on the squash side, but really both of you pursue excellence in your field is what I think. And essentially a hat that you guys wear is kind of as a performance coach of bringing out the best in your players, be it for, for entrepreneurs or, or your squash players. And that was just really kind of resounded for me. And just to give the audience a little bit of background about the two of you first, I'd love Jen, if you could, if you're, let's say at a cocktail party, how do you introduce yourself? I say, hi, my name is Jen Gabler and I'm one of the co-founders of the refinery which runs accelerator programs for women tech entrepreneurs and pitch competitions. And we were founded to really close the gap for women who had raised some money, had some traction with their businesses, were trying to scale and go big and could not connect with venture capital sources. And so we help put the pieces in place that they need to have in order to go ask for that money. And we make the connections for them to get in the door. And what about yourself, Kathleen? So uh, my background is in squash and probably business marketing. Uh, I've been playing squash for uh, 36 years uh, now. Got to, as a player, to number 42 in the world. Studied and got two masters in business and marketing. Tried to find a way to combine uh, all these things. I married Sean Moxham, who's also uh, obviously known in the squash world by many. And together we run M Squash Academy. We're a high performance academy where we want to find the right way to get the best out of each and every player. And that can be very different. We use a very holistic approach where we also, maybe more than others, work on mindset. And as a female athlete and coach, I'm very much interested in helping also female athletes and the challenges that they may have that could be very different and how to overcome them. And do you try and focus within women's squash or is that just one of your areas that you're passionate about? Well, I'm obviously a female player. I'm a player myself. I've been a player myself. I do try to focus and work with girls more often. That doesn't mean that obviously I don't work with, with adults or boys, but I have this particular approach that I try to apply for women and for girls in squash as well. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Well, I mean, that's fantastic. Both of you, I mean, essentially you are our business women yourself. And Jen, when did you start the refinery? 2014, we had done uh, six cohorts of uh, accelerator programs. Uh, they're approximately 12 weeks each. And then we run a, a series of interesting pitch competitions. Last year, we ran a pitch competition called Fueling the Growth, where we put investors in Ubers in five cities and we had 300 women entrepreneurs apply, 150 rode in, in the five cities, and they basically got in the back of an Uber and pitched their business without a deck and got immediate feedback from investors. So that's the kind of, you know, sort of real connections that we're trying to make. I also want to thank Kim Clearkin, who works for um, U.S. Squash, who put Kathleen and I in touch with each other because... You know, even, you know, the thread here is both business and squash. And I think Kim recognized that Kathleen and I would both have a lot in common, uh, both trying to get the best out of um, the women that we serve. Yeah. And how long ago did you guys connect for the first time? Only a year ago, we started working together through Kim Flerken on the How Cup. So that's one of the national, one of the most important female events, I would say, in U.S. squash. It goes 
a long while already, Jen. Uh, we go from yeah, I, you know, I don't know when the house up started. I don't have the date in front of me, but it started as a Boston, New York, Philadelphia competition, and now, as you know, it's expanded to a national team tournament with multiple. It's multi-generational, multi-skill level, and it happens every year. And this year, it's going to happen in D.C. in November, and we're, you know, really excited on that. But Kathy and I worked on the house up last year when I hosted it at Chelsea Pierce in Stanford. Yeah, and I think I'm blanking, too, on, on when the Hellcup started. I think it was in the 50s. So not only is it one of the longest-running women's uh, team events, but then it's also the largest in the world, I believe. That's, so that's- true, and, and that's what... Obviously, I'm I'm Belgian. I'm I'm here, like uh, living in the U.S. for three and a half to four years, and that was one of the most uh, amazing things to me. How large this event goes, not in number of participants, but also in age and in in level. And I think I've seen quite a bit of squash in all over the world, and I think this is completely unique to the states to hold such a fantastic event, bringing people from all over the country, Canada, together, all different levels of of play, all different ages, and just women playing squash. And I think that's one of the big links that Jen and I have, really trying to push women playing squash as well uh, on a junior level and on an adult level. And the other interesting thing we've done with the House Cup is it's focused on post-collegiate play, but we have incorporated a lot of the urban programs Mm -hmm. Uh, women, you know, the women program girls into the house cup, which also really kicks it up a notch. So the people in the D division are fighting as hard for their trophy as the people in the A division. And then we all have a great party on Saturday night where we all kind of let loose. It's kind of famous, the house cup party. Some guys are afraid to show up to that one. but There's, all, there's only two guys there. Yeah. <laughs> It's really great, and um, I feel I feel sorry the guys don't have an equivalent out there. I think they used to have something, and they should do that because it's actually some women only come to this tournament, and uh, that's their full competitive occasion. But the guys should really think about doing something like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, for me, I actually started off with team squash because I played in high school. I picked it up and it really just, I credit that to why I'm still playing today because it's not just about yourself and it's its really the environment and the camaraderie that you, you build over the years. So I think team squash is probably one of the best products we have. Well, it brings everything back to um, friendship and friendship that is related to squash. And I think uh, here in the U.S., but worldwide, that's one major thing that I think, uh, although we are a small sport compared to others, the friendship that you create through it and the network that you have through it is amazing. And uh, that's actually squash's friendship is one of the taglines that Jen and I are working on to um, boost women's squash activation with U.S. squash. It's a really important one. Power of connections. The link between all these women who have been playing for years and who respect each other and who would do anything for each other, really, because a lot of them uh, help uh, U.S. squash to get women's squash out there. That's, that's really a big one. And it really is just about pure friendship. But also, I'd have to say in the refinery work I do, um, many of the people I've pulled into the help mentor in the refinery have been squash connections. So I mm. think making sure that young women understand the power of that also is important. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, so I hadn't appreciated that you guys only met a year ago. So clearly you guys are, are not the type of people to, to sit, sit around and, and wait to make something up. And I was just fascinated to hear 
about the program that you guys ran jointly. And I want to spend a little time just talking through that because it really sounded so amazing and, and really kind of that illustrates that intersection between the squash and the business. And perhaps you could walk us through kind of the event I'm talking about. Yeah, so obviously from, from a girls' academy perspective, I can only recommend players who obviously train with both and then I'm talking girls, both boys and girls. As a player, I did that myself. We need that good mix and that hard training that you don't always get with only girls around. But uh, from a mental point of view and a mindset point of view, I'm a big fan of sometimes really focusing on just girls' clinics. It could be also girls' camps, etc. And in these camps, we really work on... Um, Probably challenges that are very particular to the women's game and that probably you wouldn't be able to just go and, and be able to discuss with a, a co-ed group. And then obviously Jen and I met, I understood all the work she's doing with my academic background. I immediately understood then also that, well, whatever we're doing here with these girls, we're not just making them good squash players, we're making them good people, good scholar, good good athletes, good scholars. And good business people. And good business people. And I know that hearing that from different people and bringing in experts in the field like really enriches the clinic that I do or that I give. And so I asked Jen to participate and, and really give what she would do with a refinery, like a kind of mini clinic for a group of girls and we had people there as young as uh, nine years old up until 16 years old and uh, it's really important that at, from that young age you learn to have them put themselves out there. This was a clinic that you guys put on. How long ago did you guys put it on? That was in uh, February this year. So uh, it was just a, a two-day clinic and we mixed it up. When I do these clinics, I, I try to mix up Physical training, obviously technical, tactical training, but mindset is an important one that I do definitely in these sessions. And so Jen was there for, for the two days and we worked together and it was amazing, uh, obviously, to, to be able to work with her. So two-day clinic with girls aged 9 to 16. How many girls uh, participated? We had about um, seven, eight. Yeah. It's a small group. Like I said, I haven't said that yet, but we moved from Boston last summer to New York and uh, the starting up a movement in a new place. And with these kind of sessions that you do, often you don't want to go in in too big numbers because you really want to get people talk about how they feel and open up a little bit about the challenges that they have. And so a group of uh, seven, eight girls there is a great number to do these things with. Yeah, because what we got the girls to do was really to present themselves and their ideas to the group. And they, you know, it would be harder to do in a larger group. They worked through a set of sort of organized interactive exercises. So it was very experiential rather than a lecture. And we presented role models like Olivia Blatchford. Uh, we had video clips of her talking to the girls about you know, the mental side of her training and competing effectively. So I do think that size of the group was was most effective. And can you just give us more of an example in terms of, so you're walking, you're playing clips of what Olivia Blatchford and then you're, you're breaking it down or you're having them role play or how does that work? Well, first we get the girls to present themselves to the group. And that's one thing that women in business and young girls have a tough time doing is kind of coming up with their own 
you know, with presentations, speaking to a group, their own sort of game plan, defending that. And so that's, we get that, that exercise going. And we had Olivia actually speaking to the girls about her experiences and then having them react to those. Uh, because they could definitely relate to those having been competitors and, you know, having trained in squash. And um, was there any dramatic before and afters or how did the, the girls react to this? I think you see them realize, I think it would be hard to say you really see before and after. You sometimes see that with the little ex- other exercises that I do. When you really go in depth, it's an internal process that these girls have like really experienced. And bringing out or having an internal process about realizing, oh, how hard is it to really present myself? And the question was really present yourself with the three most important things that you could like give yourself as characteristics or achievements. And that really seems an easy question, but it is not not as easy as you think. It also comes back a lot to some girl psychology that I'm happy to talk about a little bit later. But you see them realize that actually they probably need to pat themselves a little bit more on the back, be a little bit more prouder of everything they do. And from a very young age, that's a big difference between girls and boys. Girls are not really used to doing that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not feministic, but I will never ever say that girls are not as strong as boys, but they just are grown up in a different world. I have two kids. I've got a boy 10 years old. I've got a girl 8 years old. Maddox, my son, he will just go out there and he will say that he can beat anybody. He'll tell you, Connor, that he beats you when he sees that he can beat you when he sees you. And he'll be proud of it and he'll try to go out there and, and try to be the fastest. If I see them and if I observe them in a group of boys, uh, could be at school, could be in a squash context, they just try all of them. They try to be the best. And you know what? Even the fastest and the best one gets the most friends. Because he's the he's the hero. If you compare that to a girl group, you'll see they'll try to kind of fit in. They'll try to live up to the the rules a little bit. They'll also have to tick up a number of boxes. They'll want to tick up the boxes of I'm belonging to this group. I look a little bit like it. I'm as as skinny. I've got the right clothes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. All of a sudden, they don't really dare to stand out as much. And as athletes, if you really want to be a really high performer, you're going to have to stand out. You'll probably have to give up on one of these aspects that you might not fit in on. You might have to go to less parties. You might have, as a squash player, and I can assure you, just with more formed, well-shaped guys that uh, maybe are not really what you think as a 15-year-old is what you want. And so they have to really dare to be different. And when they are different in the group, social dynamics is not not always appreciated. So when the boys are going to get the best and the most friends, when they're the number one in a girl group, when you're the number one, you're probably going to be kind of a little bit isolated. And these are the exercises that Jen works towards. And I think, Jen, that that reflects in business as well. Yeah, I mean, the things that we're working on at the refinery that we worked in this session together was about perseverance and resiliency. When you put together a strategy game plan for business, you know, you've got to decide when you're going to take the offensive strategy, when you're going to take the defensive strategy. But the most important thing is to really own your strategy and 
persevere and be resilient and change up strategy if you have to. But going back to what Kathleen said about girls, a lot of girls and women entrepreneurs are really afraid to test themselves publicly and afraid to fail. They have a perfectionistic streak, like they they want to tick all the boxes. And just getting them to go out there and test themselves publicly is really important. And also, it's very important for them to be able to filter through multiple opinions or suggestions that they get on coaching from a business or SWAT perspective and to make your own, listen to your own inner voice and decide what you're going to go with. And I think those are all things that, unfortunately, some women and girls need, need shoring up and coaching on. And when they do, they really succeed. But they have to be willing to be different from the group and not care so much about what a group thinks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think, I mean, these are essentially lifelong skills that it sounds like you're teaching them at an early age. And a lot of that, it sounds like you're creating the safe environment where they can really feel comfortable testing it. Because it is, I think it's a challenge for, I mean, I've struggled with it. <laughs> and the only way it's, it's always, it's hard in the beginning. And just like any skill, you have to practice at it. So it's, it's great to get them started earlier because it only builds on itself. Yeah. What you're saying there, and you're saying it's great to get them started earlier, Connor, Sean and I, and then squash. If there would be two things that we would have to choose that we start working on with even the youngest athlete, so I'm saying six, seven, eight, nine-year-old, it would be mindset and technique. Mindset because they really need to learn to become receptive to know what are the requirements of whatever they want to learn, whether it's music, etc. They need to become receptive. They need to learn to be open and trying to apply it. And they need to, the second thing mindset-wise, create, you need from a very young age, the right attitude, the right attitude to working hard, practicing, listening, and obviously competing. So, and again, that goes much further than Squash. So young age, mindset and then technique, obviously, if you get the right technique that helps you just bring any ball back, that gets you much further. So if we would have to choose two things that we'd work on with younger kids, that would be mindset and technique. So that's why we obviously start early with it. I went to a uh, tournament with my daughter and I noticed in the finals day there were girls that she trains with. They're all pretty much of equal ability squash-wise. And some of them crumbled and just, you know, you could see sort of the mental crumbling and those, you know, they didn't do well. And the ones that were able to keep themselves together mentally were the ones who persevered, but pretty much similar ability levels in squash. And it really is a differentiator. So that's why I think Kathleen focuses so much on it and why it'll do well for everyone going forward in any situation, squash being just a microcosm. Sure. You know, and I think having worked with a lot of the elite athletes myself, whether it's Team USA or, or seeing the pros on the on the circuit, when you look at them physically, it's just a given. You you have to train at a certain level. You have to have that. Everyone has certain advantages and disadvantages, but really, I completely agree. It's the mindset and the mental aspects that is the differentiator. That is why take anyone that's been at the top of their game, be it at the squash or, or business level, it's, it's that mindset. So I completely agree. I'm curious, Jen, Within the cohorts and, and that you at the refinery, how do you guys address this? Is it just constant reinforcement? Is there classes you guys give? How do you help teach that? Yeah, we have a series of 12 sessions. We do them in a blended way, both in person and by webinar and Slack. And we assign lead mentors to each company. 
And the four pillars that we really work on are first product market fit. That has to be there. Everything flows from that. A strong financial model. A lot of women, unfortunately, are not great with numbers. You need to be able to go to a cocktail party and someone asks you, how does your business model work? You have to be able to articulate that right away. And you need the team to take the business forward. A lot of people need to fill in specific skill and competencies. But coming back to what we're all saying, sort of the most important thing we do is we train officers like athletes to have a mental mindset, clarity of communication, and confidence to close fundraising opportunities. So the way we do it is we have a very structured curriculum. We assign homework every week. People get up and and present their homework every week, get critiqued by both the mentors in our program as well as peers. So Mm -hmm. the peer company feedback is really important because those are the women who are also owning their own companies and can really relate and give direct feedback and that's very listened to. We plug in experts in the specific, in IT, in sales and marketing, go-to-market strategy, we plug in experts to help them. But then we're trying to have them incorporate all those things, not as a lecture, but into their, their toolkit for their company. And then it culminates in a pitch competition at the end where we give away grant money so there's something on the line there, and that's how we do it. But it's very structured. There's a lot of accelerator programs like Mass Challenge, which is more of a buffet where you can come if you want, if you don't want. Ours is like a forced march through a curriculum with a lead mentor, with other um, specialty mentors around them. And I think that structure works very well for women. Interesting. Well, along those lines of or talking you guys interact with so many different people and I'm be curious in terms of what are some of the common questions that you guys get asked or the, the frequently asked questions that you guys get. And I wonder if there's just some similarities of overlap if we're talking that in order to be at the top, whether it's mindset or there. So I'm curious as to the frequently asked questions that you guys get from your, your clients or <laughs> your, the people you work with. So parents are players. Obviously they come to us and they want to get better. And the question is always, how do I get better? And the funny thing is that there's a timeline. They want to, and that's the same thing in the business, uh, I think, they want it tomorrow. They want to really, by the end of this season, be ahead so many places in the ranking or whatever. So how are you going to get them better? And then I always refer to a example of a microwave society. And that's the problem I try to make them see is, okay, youth of today, they have lost sometimes their patience. They think that, well, it's like food. You wanna, you're hungry, you take something out of the fridge, you heat it up and you have food. People become, and it doesn't really, you haven't been cutting uh, the vegetables, you haven't gone to the shop, probably uh, others have, have done that for you, etc. So we try to teach them to lose sight of that microwave society, but really work towards consistency and ownership. And Jen said it there as well, and that's why I'm picking up on this perseverance. So consistency, she said it uh, compared to other programs that she has there, math in Massachusetts and so on, just consistency. People need to repeatedly continue to put in the work, the homework, the rethinking of the strategy, etc. The ownership as well. When the grand competition is finished, the job is not done. You really have to become an owner of whatever you do. And I think in sometimes with junior squash, and that's then a 
for me, an advice towards the parents, parents take too much of a role in there as well. They have to make sure that the kids can do it and that the kids take ownership and that the kids learn really to probably evaluate their tournaments, etc. And then probably also the perseverance. When things don't go well, you have to still keep on going and believing in it again in business as well. So that's one of the quick questions that I often, okay, how are you going to get them better? Well, honestly, I can't get them better in one, two, three. And it's not just going to take my input. It's going to take consistency, ownership, and perseverance. Yeah. What about on your side, Jen? So that's the same thing, you know, people ask us is how do I, you know, I'm the CEO of a company. How do I get that better? How do I make that better? And again, just like Kathleen said, that you have to take ownership yourself. You have to know your financial model. You have to know people will work with you. People will help you. But you really have to own all the pieces or your team has to own the pieces. You have to put in the work through these toolkit exercises we do and the homework. But you have to, and I think Kathleen will agree, you have to enjoy the ride. So I tell people, you know, if you're, you need to work with people, with good people that you enjoy. I have a no jerks policy that you really need to enjoy the people that you're working with. You also need to be flexible. So when things aren't going well, maybe have to pivot and change direction. So I think those are all similar across squash and in business. Some of the girls also that I encounter, obviously, they, they deal with nerves, and I I would be lying if I wouldn't have dealt it with it myself, and uh, probably one of the biggest things that I had to overcome. So, obviously, okay, how, how do I deal with nerves? And then we start learning, and we start understanding that, for instance, yeah, being nervous is, is trying to make them understand being nervous is a chemical reaction and that some of the things that happen, we just have to accept that they happen and learn to deal with it, learn to acknowledge that these are there rather than wanting them not to be there and working with it. With the very younger girls, I work on power poses where in a stressful situation and that we teach them actually, okay, imagine you, and that could be for an exam, that could be for a match, that could be for a pitch. You have to go and do something and all of a sudden you feel your heart racing. And you say, okay, how am I going to do this? And one of the little things that we try is power poses. It's actually an exercise where for two minutes long, you're going to try to really make yourself as tall as possible. It could be just uh, really stretching your arms out as a superwoman or trying to go and sit in a chair like a big CEO with your arms behind your, behind your head and your feet on the desk in front of you. And for two minutes long, you keep such a pose and you really try to feel the energy coming inside of you and maybe the hopefully the doubt just going out of you. It's funny, when we try to do these things, you asked me earlier, do you see a before and after effect? With these exercises, you immediately see a before and after effect. That doesn't go as deep, but these are little things that help people. But then again, it's ownership. There are these tips and tricks exist. Well, it's really about teaching these kids then to go and do them also and to apply these things. So these are little things that they ask us, okay, what do you do? Obviously, you have the, the technical stuff, uh, and there's, that's very theoretic, and then many ways to hit a forehand, and many coaches hit a forehand in a different way. So we all have our different uh, preferences of how to approach movement and technique and physical training. But uh, 
One of the things you, when you were men- mentioned or talking about the microwave society, is everyone wants the shortcut, right? They want the hack of how to get there. And it sounds whether it's in squash, and I, I know this for sure in business too. It's there's no shortcut. <laughs> it's really, I feel like it's you know the way I kind of define entrepreneurship is, or the characteristics to be successful is you need endless patience in terms of like how to achieve your goals, but you move with a sense of urgency. And, um, you know, I think that's, it's the whole process of getting there that really is what makes it better than just on the specific outcome. So I completely agree. Yeah, and it's that process, it is that journey, like Jen says, I mean, that I, as a European, sometimes see that we don't, in the US, we don't uh, enjoy enough. If I may say one thing, there's so much pressure on all these kids, unlike Europe, where squash has no links whatsoever to potential academic uh, opportunities or career opportunities. Here, squash is a vehicle that, if all goes well, it will take you and it will help you to get into the colleges or the schools that you like to go into. And again, as a non-American, I see that maybe more than other coaches or other parents, that there is quite some weight on, on the kids' shoulders. And when I train with them and they say, oh, Kathleen, it's not really going well, and look, and we've been training so hard on this, and still it's not going well, and I need my ranking to go up because we're in a couple of months I need to send my, my CV out and so on. And then I'm thinking like, wait, okay, well, we need to, I, as a coach, I need to teach them that if they're going to have that idea above their head that the result is the destination, is what matters, then their chances to succeed is going to be less. So we really have to teach them that it's not the result that matters, but it is the journey. And if you understand that you're liking the journey, then you're just going to improve much faster and better. So uh, you're going to become happier and, and you're going to become a better player just by doing that. So that's a big difference between um, Europe and the U.S. squash related. Don't you think, Kathleen, that like, college coaches would rather have someone who would be a good team player for their team and have a better attitude that way than have the higher ranking? Might be a better team compet- you know, con- contributor if they have that more. Yeah, I think for sure. I think obviously that college scenery is becoming much more competitive every year, mm-hmm. every couple of months. So it's not just an or, it's becoming an and. You really need to enjoy the ride. You have to be good, that's true, but there are so many colleges and then that brings us also to the fact that people are sometimes pretty focused on just eight names of colleges. And they don't understand that the right fit might be elsewhere and that there are so many great schools out there. And again, that just decreases the pressure as a player. As, uh, the, the girls that I work with, 15, 16 years old, they have these huge names in front of them, in, in their mind of colleges. And um, if they could realize that they could really find a good way in, in maybe not just the eight Ivy League colleges, but in different, many good schools that are out there, they might start enjoying it all much more. They might become more motivated. They might just, without doing anything else, become better players and people. So I'm doing a little work with the college newly formed squat, college squash association, and there are 34, 35 programs that have women's squash. Some are clubs, some are emerging. But you know, wouldn't it be great to join one of the emerging programs and help develop that? into a varsity program. So there aren't just the eight. 
that gives you opportunities for leadership, that gives you opportunities mm-hmm. to really tap some teams. I think there's so many opportunities out there. I feel sometimes we have to decrease the pressure that is on the shoulders of, of these young people. Gosh, there's so many good points you guys just brought up. I, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out which one to, to pick at. You know, one of the things that you were talking about in terms of coaches and fit, and you know, that I mean, we we can call that pretty easily team chemistry. And I know firsthand, both from seeing it from the outside and also going through it, where, you know, one or two people can, in such a small environment, can really impact it in both extremely positive and then also less positive. And just looking at Trinity College, for example, in terms of what Coach Asante has done, I mean, he really invested so much time and energy into building the best team environment, the best team chemistry. And when you look at a lot of the teams over that 18 year, gosh, 19 years now, and they've won 17 out of 19. My facts could be wrong there, but a lot of them were 5-4. And a lot of times, Trinity wasn't always the clear winner on paper, but it was those intangibles that made all the difference. And when you win 16 or 17 within that time period, that stops being luck or stops being just the players. And there's really more going on there. So I think you're right in terms of coaches recognize that and are trying to it's still tough to make the you never know what's going to be the right decision right so how do you how do you kind of forecast that i totally agree make a plug for my college coach aggie kurtz who taught me as a college player to she taught me as a freshman and i ended up playing number seven and just the chemistry was amazing because she fostered that and i think paul does that too well i'd like to um one of the topics that again in, in prepping for this kathleen that really jumped out at me was um, you guys clearly have a methodology at M Squash, you guys, as do you, Jen, and taking them through. But you guys seem to put a, a focus on making sure that players understand their why. And I was curious as to, you know, because if they understand their why, they will be able to, all the other things are just steps along the way to achieve their goal. How do you guys help, especially with young, that's something I constantly struggle with now and adapting, but how do you help young players understand that understanding what when we say what is your why i and we ask that question just to understand why people are in this journey and when i start asking that question i ask it because if you really want to become a really good player and a high performer you're going to have to go through days where things don't go the way you want it. You're going to have to do sessions when you don't feel it. You're going to have to continue when your legs hurt. You're going to have to stay positive when actually you feel like feeling sorry for yourself. So maybe the what is your why? We do ask that for younger players. I would say 13, 14, 15 years old also, much more. We try to make them understand if they understand why they actually enjoy what they are doing and why they are doing this they'll the why will overcome the pain the doubts the sorrow that they feel after a match and so how do we help them to really discover that why we ask them okay what are the things that make you come alive what are the things that inspire you and obviously with the youngest ones you have to phrase that differently and we we talk it we speak on a different level but what are the things that really bring happiness and make you feel good? And that could be even going out for a run and having that, that feeling of, yes, I did it. 
after that run that you really didn't feel like, after those court sprints, after the solo practice that you did and that you actually felt happy about after you did it, but you really didn't want your parents to drive you to the club, go and do that. So it's really understanding what makes you to be happy for what you did. And then the thing is also, the next thing that we say is, okay, but what are you actually good at? And honestly, sometimes I see people wanting to become really good squash players, but when I'm honest as a coach, I think they might be even better at basketball or at soccer and so on. So they might like the hard work, but they might be better at, a diff- at something else than rather squash. But the second thing is, okay, try to really find what you are good at. So what am I good at? Because if you like the hard work and you're going to do something that you're less good at, you're going to get less frequent that feeling of happiness. And then the third thing is, okay, when you start doing the work, then just love what you do. Start really enjoying the hard work because you know in the end it's going to get you where you want to arrive. And so when you put all these things together, we say then it's the moment to just sparkle. And it's the thing that's going to that's gonna matter. You might lose a championship and you might lose it 3-2, 11-9, and you'll be very, very disappointed. But you might, if you can then get off course and say, listen, this was a hell of a match and I've learned so much from it and next time I'll come back stronger or I do realize this is only U17 and I've got U19 and college squash still ahead of me. If we can make them understand that when you really succeed in, in being, in, in trying to develop lifelong, I would say, high performers. And like I said, it's that moment of happiness. It's not about your final result, whether you win it or not, but it's about how you feel every day and how you feel about the journey. And Janan, for your entrepreneurs, is there why, do you think that they, most entrepreneurs understand their why or do you help try and flush that out? Or is it a just a communicating it to other people challenge? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So the why is we ask them at the very beginning to solve, are you solving a problem that people are either willing to pay for if it's a for-profit business or are you solving a problem that solves a social need that people in the world feel really need to be addressed? And if you're not solving a problem in those, for those two situations, then what are you really doing? So it's the, really the product market fit. And then thinking about, are you the right team that's going to be able to solve this problem? So we do ask, we really do get to the core of why are you spending all your time on this? You know, are you the right people to do this? Do other people feel that this is an important issue? And if you can't get to that why, you shouldn't move forward. However much work we do, it's not going to really help. And as you know, a lot of early stage businesses fail because they haven't figured those things out. If you don't have the why, it's going to be really tough to keep on going when when the going gets rough. And I think that's what we need. You need that inner reason why you do it, even though things go really bad. Absolutely. I mean, all this resonates completely. And I've spent a lot of time addressing that myself, one book or person that's been really helpful in, in just providing more clarity for me is is a guy named uh, uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, he's done a TED Talk where you just Google it, Simon Sinek. You'll find it. His first book he wrote was uh, Start With Why. And basically, it's two parts. It's That's the hardest thing to try and really figure out and really it's daunting. But then once 
you figure it out. The second part is getting it done. While it's a lot of work, it's much more manageable. It resonates completely with me. Well, before we um, move on to the quick fire segment, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about women's squash in the United States. I mean, you two are at the core of really taking this to a new level. And there's a lot of great activity going on. So uh, we talked a little bit about the Howick Cup, which is going to be this November, if I'm in D.C., if I'm remembering correctly. November 10th or 12th at Squash on Fire in D.C. But there's also a bunch of other activities and that you guys are working on. I'd love to just spend some time digging into that. So give us the latest. What's going on? Well, myself, Kim Clerken, and A.J. Copeland um, lead a group of very fired up women uh, nationally who have comprised the Women's Committee. And up to this point, we've had very sort of episodic events, the How Cup in November. And in the end of September, we do something called Women's Squash Week which is a series of 40 events nationwide and internationally to get women back on the courts after the summer. So we have those two events, and lucky for us, we met up with people like Kathleen, who's been a huge contributor, and others who are working on how do we take those episodic events and make them into a program that's going to really drive women's participation. And so Kathleen's been really working on the messaging first, and I've been helping working on uh, the funding piece. And so we would like to make sure that after Women's Squash Week happens, that we seed programs nationally that will have women's round robins, clinics, will help develop women coaches. I'll let Kathleen jump in now too, but we're trying, we're on the cusp right now of really taking this to the next level. But it's going to take money and it's going to take effort. And I think a lot of people are we're ready to do this. Yeah, what we call it is a, is a women's squash activation program. And we're trying to now put all these things together to just get more people motivated. But before you do that, you need to understand your target group. So Kim Clerken from US Squash, she did a survey um, under, trying to get feedback on why, how, what is it that, that women want when they go out and play squash. And so based on these on the feedback that we've got there, we're trying to really build a culture. And we've learned that women play squash for friendship, but they also really want it in a affordable way because they are different than how men perceive squash women. In most of the cases, they, they run family and they'll put family first, although they, they are still looking for that workout. So they want affordability. They want flexible programming. They want really intense sessions, yet not too competitive. They want it to be based on friendship. They want really a little bit of confidence boosting activities and they want that social connection and we're trying now we're at the verge of trying to find define a culture that could become the culture of, of u.s women's squash with some taglines like i said earlier squash is friendship the power of connection and the idea is then putting all these things into a movement and like jen says we need activities we need tournaments for that we need funds for that we need that culture that everybody feels, oh, yes, I'm part of it, and I rec- I can ad- identify myself with it. And then, obviously, we need mentors, and that's also something Jen is working on uh, very closely. We're looking at uh, to activate more isolated squash regions to become more active. In the first instance, from a very leisure activity point of view, squash as, as a hobby, things towards maybe next year, getting some milestones there that we can get 
new teams from new areas to the How Cup. So that's something that uh, obviously Jen is also working on. Yeah, we're really lucky. We had a group from Chicago come um, this year for the first time. We'd love to get teams from Atlanta, from Charlottesville, from non-traditional squash areas. Because I think that once the women come and see and participate in this event, they get the bug. And of course, I think you understand that in addition to all the factors that Kathleen mentioned, a lot of times we have women who drop out of squash right after college. They're working very hard before they start families. And it's trying to keep women playing post-college who played. It's trying to get those who've taken a break to come back. It's trying to have people who've never tried squash try squash, tennis players or other athletic women, because you know of all the benefits. That's who we're trying to appeal to, and we are trying to reach out to new geographies. That all makes a lot of sense, and it's just building on an already robust and passionate foundation. And just to give some context there for the Women's Squash Week, because I think that's, I mean, one of the, when you look at successful squash programs been executed, that's one that stands out to me. I think it was only, was it 10 years ago now? Is there was, prior to that, there was no Women's Squash Week and it started in one city and now you said it's up to uh, 40 cities. So Absolutely. And I got to give the credit to Emily Steve and Jessica, Emily Steve and Jessica Green, I believe Wilson. Now. Green, I'm sorry. She, they did this in New York and basically we just have people, they can run any kind of event that they want to during that week. They can do a round robin, they can do a clinic, they can do anything they want. And it varies from Boston where we have 70 women show up at the Muir Center to um, just a few people at a, at a meetup in Vassar. But we now are going to, this year we have events in Canada, in Ireland, in Britain, as well as all over the U.S. And it's just we do a lot of social media around it so people see what the other events are happening. And it's a great way to, to kick off the season. The basic message is to all your listeners there that they really have to get their act together and, and think about uh, yeah joining or, or really trying to uh, hold an event because we really need as many events as we can. They're an excellent starting point towards more clinics, towards more round robins in your center, towards just more a bigger squash community. So um, that's really a big, big uh, ask from us to everybody out there to um, find out more about the Women's Squash Week. And that information can be found on the U.S. Squash website as well. Yeah, the sign-up is right now. And out of that, people like Christy Maroc out in San Diego have added Women's Squash Week. She signed up a bunch of people, and they had a continuing clinic all year. So that's how, how that will really feed future. I love it. It's a great way to, to grow the sport that we all love. And it really is. It's amazing. We, we do have to get out there and just ask people to play. I think that's sometimes underestimated. So you heard it. Go to usquash.com. Check out Women's Squash Week and all the other great activity. But thank you for both of your guys' leadership in this area. And there's, there's already huge accomplishments to date. And it looks like there's more on the horizon. So now I'd like to uh, just transition over to our quick fire segment. And I know you guys were... Really looking forward to this one. Um, Thank you, Connor. Yeah. And we'll just, we're just going one. <laughs> if there are any questions you need to skip, no problem. We'll, we can always follow up later, but I'll let you guys figure out who wants to be the first to answer each question. Uh, we don't, we oh, don't need, right. a okay. we don't need a buzzer or anything, but what is your favorite mode of transportation? Mine is minivan when I'm in the suburbs, but I'm originally from Manhattan. So I love the subway. So those are my two favorites. Do I know mine? Of course. 
Mine is anything that moves forward. <laughs> I like it. I like anything. it. Anything. I, like I don't like standing still. <laughs> so well. Well, I know you guys. You guys clearly don't like to stand still and uh, just get things done. So, um, well, along those lines, what gets you guys fired up? And it can be anything within squash world. It can be something that's either negative that frustrates you, or something really positive that inspires you. And I'll just leave it open ended. Okay, I'm gonna be a little repetitive, but playing in the house cup, seeing all my friends and playing a lot of squash and just having a great time. I understood that question a little bit from a negative point of view and uh, what gets me fired up and that's with anything in life is that when I see people who have potential that they don't try. So there's uh, one famous thing that I, well, not, it's not famous, it's a quote. Um, I can't remember who said it, but uh, it's the quote that I say at, at sessions, clinics, or whatever. I don't care if you fail, but I am going to really fire up if I see you not try. And that's with my kids, it's with myself, it's with my husband, it's with anybody. If I see people just not give it a try, that's what drives me crazy. I definitely feel you on that one. I feel unfortunate for sometimes when I interact with people and they... <laughs> I, they can see how fired up I get about trying to help them, and it's it's not always reciprocated. But sometimes, it's, it's like different. you have to pull it really out of people. And as a coach, you might realize that just drags so much energy out of you. And then a lot of coaching is obviously giving energy and inspiring people, etc. And that's what I love about it. And that's what we need to make people aware how much you can actually do if you just only try. What about? Do you have any favorite movie or documentary? So. I go back a couple of years ago. Um, I must admit that I actually don't watch a lot of TV, but if I would have to choose one movie, that would be Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon, Robin Williams. I must say I had a crush one day on Matt Damon, but now if I look at the contents of that movie, it's about really detecting talent, finding talent, and also going through defense mechanisms of people with certain talents who might not really be ready to develop them. And it's about empowering them. And even it's about not avoiding conflict to get somewhere. And I do that sometimes with, with my players as well. I'll try to be really hard and I'll try to... There's players who sometimes walk away from me and I let them walk away because they're mad because they think I'm going a little, I'm asking too much, but that's fine. In the meantime, they discover what they actually can do. So um, I, I really like that movie and obviously Robin Williams, one of my favorite actors probably uh, of all time. And mine, um, you know, I don't go to many movies, but I went to Hidden Figures this year and I was just in awe of the black women who contributed to the space program. Never knew about that. Just was like in awe of what they did. Both of those are, I love those movies too. And with Hidden Figures, it's what my takeaway from that too was also there's so many amazing stories out there that just haven't been told yet. And frankly, that's also part of the inspiration or, or why I do this podcast. I mean, just even talking to both of you, amazing people have accomplished so much and just trying to give a platform opportunity to share that. So I love those choices. What is there, and it can be either something or an activity that brings you disproportionate happiness in your life. Again, probably predictable, but watching my kids play squash or watching the kids that I coach at schools play squash. And I also love to go to the TOC and watch Will Carlin do his post-match interviews. I think he's great at that. I'll just answer very 
probably in a personal way. Non-work related is, is just being family and my children happy. I think um, being happy as a family is, uh, I've learned over a couple of personal hardships this year that, that if, if you have that, if you have health and happiness and children who develop and become little by little stronger human beings, that just gives me instant happiness. And then my whole, the rest of my day can go completely wrong. And I have that same thing with just coaching juniors. If I can make people understand they can do more and they can learn more and they feel that they are growing in whichever way it is, physical, mental, or whatever, if I see that little, like, little understanding that goes like, oh, I've got this. I don't think money can't buy that. So um, that makes me really happy. Yeah, those aha moments can be, uh, make it all worth it. Yes. But I like what you said that it's about other people watching them because I think at this time of our lives, it's less about us and more about the people we're helping to develop. Yes, that's true. And that gives us more happiness than our own. It's our time that, you know, half to, I don't know, I should say that. But, you know, it's, it's great to help others and see them become happy and succeed. That's something funny. Um, Sean always obviously says, um, as much as enjoys creating world champions or people to get really to the best of their capabilities as players, he enjoys it even more to see some of the players he coached become good coaches as well. And that's an important thing that because then you just take that a step further. And so... I think why why we're very lucky to be able to work with with people and and make other people happy. I like it. So I'm going to preface this next question with I understand how busy you guys are. So maybe it's not even possible, but is there anything either recently or you're thinking of trying that's new? It can be a routine, just anything new that you're thinking of trying and what is it and why? I've got something very pedestrian, but I think um, important, but just pedestrian, but I think Kathleen has a bigger answer on this. Mine is we're going to start a new middle school squash team at in the Westport Public School System, which will feed the new high school team that we have. And I'm going to do that with my friend uh, Liz Salovey, and uh, pretty excited about that. Sorry, that's this fall? You're starting it? This fall, yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. And it brings more squash to, to the region, and uh, it's just like... Uh, Here's another, how many kids have the access to squash? Probably, you know, uh, starting with about 10 or 20, so wow. it'll be good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Connor, you asked me. I, I'm working on a couple of new things. Uh, I'm working on a project that I that is completely new where we're probably bringing together whatever we've done, Sean and I, over the last 20 years into one huge project. And I can't tell you more yet. So. <laughs> well, well, if you can't tell us what it is, can you tell us why you're doing it? Huh. Can you ask me even harder questions? Um, <laughs> why are we doing this? Because this is what we've always wanted to do. So about to release something really cool. Um, yeah, I think let's get together in, in three, four months and I'll be able to tell you. No problem. Well, we're excited to learn more. Now, what about, you know, and I think part of this, hopefully what this podcast is trying to achieve is just is this sharing, it's joining what else is out there on the internet of just being able to share pieces of content. And so my question to both of you is, what's an inspiring, either your talk or a piece of video, just something easily on the web that could be shared that you guys have enjoyed? I'm a big 
fan of um, Cheryl Sandberg, CEO of um, Facebook. I read her, and, and this is obviously there. She, it's about a book, but there's many videos and interviews on it as well. Initially, um, she wrote a, a book, Lean In, and that links again to really empowering women to go out there and become even better leaders and, and business people. But now, uh, after losing her husband, I think about uh, one and a half years ago, she wrote a book, Option B, and it's about life after adversity. Unfortunately, um, I myself, in the last uh, nine weeks, I've lost to a mother and a father-in-law. And that book teaches you how to fall up after really being faced with the hardest things in life. It tells you about choices that you can make. And in a very gentle way, obviously, because everybody needs time. And adversity can be losing somebody here, but adversity can also be in your career, not, not getting where you want to in your sport, not making that team. And how are you going to deal with that? So option B, Cheryl Sandberg, if you want to learn about resilience and about bouncing back, I would um, recommend everybody to listen or read. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about that within your family. Those, I don't think there's ever a good time. There's never a good time. And I think it's something that we all as people face. And um, option B is actually on my reading list and uh, I can't wait to read it. And uh, yeah, she, you will enjoy it. she's be so inspiring. I mean, it's, um, and these are really tough topics to talk about. And so just to be able to even talk, mention the name of a book and then kind of create a framework to talk about it. Cause you know, that's something I know I've wrestled with helping others through difficult times and I can help solve other problems. I think this is a tough problem. So I'm, I'm excited. To- that, yeah. One of the things obviously I, I have learned. And so my mom, obviously I loved her to this and she got get diagnosed far too young with cancer. She fought for two years and then she was the healthiest person ever, but had to give up was an, an unfair battle as you run, go through that year. And obviously we were living 6,000 kilometers apart, which is obviously devastating and often gives you as a daughter the feeling that you're not doing enough. But going through that process, one of the things that obviously I learned and what Cheryl also brings in her book is people try to avoid talking about it. They either don't feel comfortable, they either don't know what to say, they don't know what to ask or whatever. And then when the moment is there and, and they you lose the bell, they also don't talk about the person who has been lost who who passed and or they say oh you know what i'm here for you whatever if you want to do something for me let me know and in her book she says um i had many people who asked me what they could do for me or that they should tell me or that i should tell them what i want what they would like me to do one day she said i was in the hospital and uh, there was a colleague for me and he just Send me a text message and he said, Cheryl, I've got two hamburgers, come downstairs, which one do you want, with or without cheese? And that's actually so how you have to deal with that adversity. Really go in there and, and just offer solutions and try to avoid things that you think that are difficult to talk about and that's the elephant in the room. And as a coach, 
that's what you also have to do. If things are, if there is a problem, you're going to have to put it on the table. That's the only way to get further, but it's not easy, of course. Absolutely. What about you, Jen? Well, I don't want to completely stroke you, Connor, but I will, because the reason why I thought about getting together and doing, you suggested we do this podcast, is I had listened to some podcasts from Swatch Radio while I was in my minivan, because I drive an awful lot. And um, the one that you did with Dr. Eric Zilmer, the AD uh, athletic director at Drexel, was amazing. He is such a multi-talented guy, um, you know, transitioning from high-level academic work to leading all the athletic programs at Drexel to helping to start squash marks to his visit to Guantanamo Bay. I mean, it just found him to be very inspiring. So I thank you for that one. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. But really, the star of that was Eric. I mean, he's such a renaissance man and such a deep thinker. I mean, my mind was racing just trying to keep up with him, and he does that time and time again. So that's why I was so excited to have him on the show. So so thank you. One of the last questions I have and is around uh, TED Talk. Are you guys both familiar with TED Talks? Yeah. Yeah. So imagine the scenario is you have to give at the end of this experience a 15 minute 20 minute presentation but you have to go learn something new that you're not known for so basically what would you explore and want to share with the rest of the world something that i had a little bit of a toe dip in the water with is my son who's 20 is a special education kid and i had to become quickly you know i had to discover a lot of you know what what his disabilities were and try to plug in help and the big eye-opening thing for me, having you know, living in Fairfield County, is that there is not one path that's going to make you successful or happy in life. And going to an elite college is not always the answer. And the most important thing is to make your own path. And he's going to be going into the Army. He's a volunteer firefighter. He's worked with the Fairfield Police. He's got a great summer job with the DEA. I mean, I am just like, I would do a TED Talk where sort of, you know, busting the myth that you have to be doctor, lawyer, Indian chief and go to an Ivy League school. Wow, that's powerful. I think we may have to try and get you to do that at some point. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) In all your spare time. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Kathleen? From the time I was studying, I also took some courses in journalism. What uh, inspires me as well is when I see those journalists going to areas of the world where women are still treated very differently with uh, respect, opportunities, etc. that are very completely different than our Western society. I always have had this interest to understand that. But that what I'd like to understand as well, I'd love to do like a, an eight-week program touring a number of countries understanding those perspectives and trying to wipe away my Western perspectives to understand what is going on and to see how as a world we could make it a better place and and maybe improve some of their circumstances, maybe just leave them the way they are. I find sometimes we're trying to frame world problems in just with our own framing and not enough opening up. So that's something I'd like to do one day. (laughs) After your big project. Yeah. (laughs) I like, those are two really great answers. And this is why I love doing this, this section of the podcast is just, you really uncover some hidden gems. So I appreciate all that. The last question is just about sharing a book that you'd recommend. And Kathleen, I know you've already said option B, so that can be your answer here too. But in case case you have any other summer reading or suggested reading, uh, we'd love to close on that. 
Yeah, you made me look for another one, and I uh, went back 20 years. So it's a book that was actually published in 1980 by Dan Norman, Way of a Peaceful Warrior. It's a little bit philosophic. It's about finding a way to rearrange your thoughts, understanding what you actually need in life, what you absolutely don't need in life, and how to be happy without mm-hmm. anything. So, yeah. Could you repeat the title? I didn't catch it. Okay. It's The Way of a Peaceful Warrior. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what about yourself, Jen? Well, I'm trained as a uh, CPA and a CFO, so this is a little geeky, but um, this summer I'm reading the Investor's Manifesto by William Bernstein. He's a former doctor, now an investment guru, and I think he's very easy to read and to understand sort of diversification and investing methodology. Very interesting. Well, I could, I know I say this at most podcasts, I mean, I could just keep going, but in respecting your time and and uh, our listeners' time. I'm going to draw it to a close. But before I give you an opportunity for closing thoughts, I just want to thank both of you for A, your time, but then B, everything you guys are doing within the sport. And clearly, you guys are, are role models within your sphere of influence of the players you interact with and your peers, and but also the leadership at, at growing the sport. So thank you for all that you both do. Uh, it's our pleasure. Definitely our pleasure. And thank you, Connor, for doing Squash Radio. No yes, problem. Sure. Any closing thoughts or uh, just... I would say I think what you are doing is, is tremendous. I believe that it takes a, a lot of energy, a lot of time. I think you are a pioneer in what you're doing. And so the people who are listening to you must be all kinds of pioneers and influencers as well. So I believe there's one thing uh, from a U.S. squash point of view. Let's really play some squash. Let's get these women play more and then let's get that uh, U.S. Women's Squash Week uh, going. So uh, thank you so much, Connor. And I just say everyone sign up for World Squash Masters being held in Charlottesville next July. It's a big event because it's never been held in the U.S. And so I'm a big supporter of women's squash and girls squash, but also master squash. It's a great point. And uh, I'm actually... Hoping to play myself, which is going to be a good motivator during the season to, to actually get back in shape. So I'm looking forward to it. So if you need a healing partner, call me. <laughs> I, I will. I will actually. Well, thank you both. And until next time. Okay, thank you. so much for your time today and for joining us on squash radio we hope you enjoyed this latest episode but before you leave we just have one quick last message as you know squash radio wants to help tell some of the best stories from squash world but in order to do that we want and welcome your help do you know a person or a story that involves squash that is interesting funny moved you you care about reflects your passion for the sport well share it with us and let's try and get it out there on the air you can email me at squashradio at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media again thanks for your time and well until next time be well and have fun